God bless you. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Let's continue in prayer. Let's devote this time to him and see what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your blessed word. We just thank you that we can feed from it. It is our meat, our sustenance, and it helps us to grow in the faith. We do pray, Lord, that as we take this in this morning, that your spirit would be teaching us your ways, that he would open up our eyes to your truth, that we would understand it and have the conviction and the grace that we need from you to live it. Lord, our desire is to be more like our Savior, Father, to live lives that are honoring to you, that people might see the grace, the love, the mercy, the peace, the joy that comes from knowing him. So we pray for consistency, for integrity. We pray for honesty with ourselves and with the world and with you. And so we pray for your blessing upon us now as we seek to learn from this word today that your name might be, might be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who's ever bitten into an apple only to find a worm in there? No, not me. Oh, it's a few of us. Okay. Um, who's ever bitten into an apple only to find half a worm in there? <laughs> Which is worse. Um, there are plenty of horror stories uh, around, if you go on the internet, about people that have found funny things in their food uh, which weren't supposed to be there or you, you've taken a bite out of something that's completely either gone off or something, some strange taste that you weren't expecting uh, to be there. But we have pretty good food regulations here in Australia. But despite good food regulations, sometimes things happen, don't they? Um, things don't always turn out the way you expect. Um, but what happens if you're a king? What happens if you're Pharaoh, the king of all of Egypt, the greatest power in the world at that time? What, what, would, you, what would you say about that? What if you were king? What, what would be your expectations, considering you probably have the best butlers, the best bakers, the best chefs, at your disposal. Um, what would your expectations be about the quality of the food uh, you had? And what would you do if you were Pharaoh and you found something nasty in the food that you were given? Uh, would you blame the person who made the food? Would you blame the person maybe who served the food? Well, it seems as if Pharaoh may have bitten off more than he would have liked to chew in this story because two men found themselves quickly thrown into jail and under the wrath or at the at the receiving end of the wrath of Pharaoh and their fate was essentially unknown until he handed down his verdict but they were stuck in the same prison that Joseph was in so let's just give a bit of a recap so at the end of last the last sermon Joseph had become very successful in the house of Potiphar so most of you know by now that Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was taken out by the Midianites. He was sold into Egypt, uh, sold into Potiphar's house as a slave, essentially. But he did so well as a servant that Potiphar made him in charge. He gave him more and more responsibilities. And eventually, Potiphar, who was a captain of the guard, 
uh, also very high up in uh, in that uh, uh, in that empire in that uh, in that kingdom, um, he gave Joseph command of all of his house. And the Bible says that he didn't even know what was going on. He was so confident and so trusting in the integrity and the work ethic of uh, Joseph and his ability to be blessed in what he did that he says he didn't know anything other than the food that was put on his table. And that's all he cared about. And so Joseph became very successful at whatever he put his hand to. God blessed him with it. But at that same time, Potiphar's wife became quite interested in Joseph and she began to make advances towards him. And so in that, Joseph said, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. He basically told her that if they would have engaged in any type of sexual activity, it was going to be a betrayal of his, of his master, Potiphar, who had put so much trust in him, but also a sin against God. So he made it very clear that he was not interested in that sort of stuff and he kept on avoiding her until a particular time when she managed to get him in the house by himself while he was filling in paperwork for his master and at that particular point she advanced towards him grabbed him and and his reaction was to literally run and he ran out of the house and he left the garment that she was holding in her hands and she was so upset about that that she decided to take that garment and bring it to her husband and say, your servant, the one that you put all that trust in, that Hebrew guy, he attacked me. He attacked me and when I screamed, he ran away and look, here's his, here's his jacket that I've got. And so Potiphar immediately went from someone who trusted him fully to someone who didn't trust Joseph at all and immediately had him thrown into prison. So Joseph now finds himself in prison. But as was his particular custom, he would be very faithful, honest, and a hard worker. And so the captain of the prison started seeing whatever Joseph was doing actually was turning out really good. And it was a blessing to him as well. Joseph was so honest, he gave him more and more and more uh, responsibilities. And I don't know, I don't think this was in a few days, I don't think it was even in a few weeks, but we find that at the end of the last chapter, the prison guard, the prison guard, the chief of the prisoners, actually had given Joseph all the responsibility for all the all the um, the prisoners in there. How's that? So that's the the, uh, the prisoners are running the prison. But that's what happens when you are a faithful, honest, and a person of integrity. And so the prison, the captain, of the prison, actually realised that trusting Joseph took a whole lot of strain and stress off him. Because Joseph was, everything he put his hands to was blessed. And that was because God was with him. Regardless of where he was, whether he was under Potiphar or in prison, God was still blessing him. And whatever he put his hand to, God blessed. And so I shared this uh, message with you last time that both the prison guard and, the, um, and Potiphar realized that when they trusted someone like Joseph to look after their affairs, they had a great deal of peace about them. They had peace, they had joy, they could enjoy life. And my, my challenge to us all was, do we trust Jesus the same way with our own lives? Do we have that level of trust? Because if Joseph was trustworthy and, and was faithful to God and was being blessed by God, imagine the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect in every possible way. And so my challenge to us was, are we actually trusting in Jesus as much as Potiphar trusted in Joseph?
and left everything in his hands. And that's, a, I think, a challenge for all of us. Because I think, um, to a certain degree, all of us are, have the flesh that's drawing us away from trusting the Lord. And the devil, the last thing he wants to do is to trust in Jesus. You see, that's the whole plan here. To put a divide between us and God. Because the devil, when he first approached Adam and Eve, he essentially, his argument was, God's lying to you and he doesn't want to give you. He's holding back on you, so you shouldn't trust him. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve fell for that lie. And unfortunately, mankind has fallen for that lie over and over again. So the reason people don't come to God is because they don't trust him. The devil has been able to put a wedge. But he'll continue to try to do that with believers as well. You may have put your trust in Jesus for eternal life, which is a huge thing when you think about it. You've put your soul into his hands and you've said, I'm going to trust Jesus to bring me to heaven. That's how, and, and give me an eternity with him. Um, but sometimes, in fact, too many times, Christians don't, can't trust Jesus with their daily life, which is a little bit of an anachronism. Foolishness when you think of it. If we trust Jesus with our eternal soul, why is that we don't trust him with our daily life? because the devil's managed to put a wedge there as well. And it means that we're living more by sight and less by faith. So the challenge for us is to live by faith and not by sight. Okay? So let's look at these first two verses. Let's get into this chapter. Genesis 40 verse 1. And it came to pass after these things, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers, and against the chief of the bakers. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. He doesn't describe you know, exactly what happened um, or what made Pharaoh so angry with both of them that he decided to throw them both in the prison. Um, maybe he, they over, overheard them cracking a joke about his new hat. I don't know. Pharaoh still had really big hats, you know. Maybe they were cracking a joke and someone dobbed them in. Um, but it's... Related probably to a failure in their duty toward him. And, and I was thinking about this as I was putting this thing together. What would implicate both a butler and a baker at the same time? I mean, what, what could both of them do at the same time? Well, um, maybe serving up a croissant with a cockroach in it would probably do the job. Um, that would do not quite nicely, actually. But either way, they were both, they were both thrown in the slammer. And so by an aligning of circumstances, these two men found themselves in the prison where Joseph now was. And so, now you know as well as I do, that these stories that are recorded for us in the Bible don't have anything to do with coincidence. First of all, it's recorded for us for a purpose, to tell us, teach us something. And second of all, when coincidences happen like this, they're not coincidences. They're, someone is aligning these particular things to happen uh, in order for God to be glorified through them. These are no mere coincidences um, because it's God who aligns circumstances. I'm not sure if you've noticed it in your life as a believer. Before you, before you believe or you come to have faith in Christ, you don't see anything about God in your life. After you, you trust your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you see him working everywhere. And you think, why didn't I see this before? It's a bit like, you know, when you want to buy a car and... You don't know which car to buy, but all of a sudden you buy a new car. But before you bought that car, you didn't see that car anywhere on the road. Now you see your car everywhere on the road. Have you noticed that? 
And so it's the same type of mentality, the same type of thing. All of a sudden you take notice of what God's doing, you make him part of your life, you buy into him, right? And all of a sudden you start seeing his when you think, how come I didn't notice this before? But both of these men find themselves in a prison with an interesting character called Joseph. And in verse 3 it says, And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in wards. Now the captain of the guard um, put them under Joseph's care. Now these two were high-ranking people. I mean, the butler of, the, of Pharaoh and his baker are two fairly important people. They're not just, you know, people from, from anywhere. And so for the prison, the, the steward of the prison to actually entrust these guys to Joseph meant that he trusted Joseph to look after them properly. While things were working out, while, while Pharaoh was, had to come to a decision sometime in the future, it was Joseph's responsibility to see to their needs to make sure that they received and were being looked after in that prison. They were still officials and they were probably treated with greater care in the general prison population. But something happened that was strange. Well, not all that strange if you read the Bible. That these two men had a dream. Not the same dream. They each had a different dream. A special type of dream. Some type of dream that disturbed them so much and was so distinctive um, to each of them, that they had to share it somehow. It, it, it reflected uh, out of them. And this is not the only time God has given dreams to people that aren't even believers in Him. Did you know that? You think to yourself, why would God give people that are not even saved, that don't even believe in Him, why would He give them dreams? But He did it to Abimelech. He did it to Laban, the Syrian. He did it, He'll do it to Pharaoh as well. And He also did it to Nebuchadnezzar. Why does God give dreams to people that don't even believe in him? Well, the first is a testimony that God can reach into the minds of anyone in this world. God can speak to you. He can speak directly to your mind. And it's interesting if you've watched testimonies of many Muslims on the internet, you'll notice that many Muslims who become believers, especially in these countries where they, they don't have access to, to the word of God, um, interesting how many of them have dreams where Jesus comes to them and says I am Jesus and you need to start believing in me I want you to go and speak to this person and then God sends them a person to actually go and explain the gospel and they get saved extraordinary stuff so God is in the habit of giving dreams and where they lead to salvation, and he glorifies himself. And God can glorify himself through such dreams, but the common thread with these dreams is that the people who have the dream that, are, that don't believe in him often don't understand it. So then God brings another person in who does, a believer of his, and then they're called into the picture to actually explain what the dream actually means. And this is what happens with Joseph here. And I want, to, I want us to think about this for a moment. How many times do you consider, would you think, that people have, who are not saved, read the Bible 
or read a passage in the Bible but don't understand it. Before I was saved, I could read a whole, a whole passage of the Bible, no clue what it actually meant, what it meant for me, what, what significance it had. But then after I got saved, I understood it. For, somehow, for some reason, it make, now makes complete sense to me and I actually realise what it's speaking to me about. And so there are, there's this thing that happens where the unsaved are given information by God and regularly don't understand it, but then God calls in the believer to come and say, let me put my arm around you, let me explain what this is. And so in a sense, Joseph is like a picture of the believer who has been sent into the world with people that have information but don't understand it. And we've been called to share that truth with them and help to explain what it means to them. Do you remember the Ethiopian who was on that chariot on the way back to Ethiopia, back to his kingdom? And he's reading the book of Isaiah and he's reading it and God is already prepping up Philip. And he says, go and join that chariot over there. Philip's got no idea what's going on. He says, okay, Lord, I'll go. And he starts to, to run towards the chariot. And the Ethiopian is there reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, I think it was. And, and Philip pulls alongside and says, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I, unless someone explains it? And then Philip goes on to explain the scriptures to him. And he gets saved. This is what we've all been called to do ourselves. Since we have been given the Holy Spirit, we have our, our eye, the eyes of our understanding opened by Him. And He teaches us His Word directly. One of the, one of the things that separates uh, a church, like a Baptist church, from the Catholic church, is that we are fully convinced and believe that the Holy Spirit within each and every person can open up their understanding to understand the Scriptures for themselves. Yes, God uses people like me to help serve up the main meal for you on a weekly basis, which, which is called to be a blessing to you. Some of us are better at that particular thing, but there's no reason that a believer can't understand the Bible for themselves. And because of that, each of us have been called to share the truth and explain what that truth is to people around us who don't. Because if they don't have the Holy Spirit, they can't understand it. The Holy Spirit has to open up their eyes. So we've been called to that, even to the point, even without the, the, the actual uh, the scriptures, the Bible teaches us that God's fingerprints are all over this universe. And so when we look at nature, we see God's handiwork here. We look at the, the things that glorify Him, and we say, look how wonderful God is. But yet the person who is living in this world who doesn't have Christ looks around and says, well, what? That's all come by chance. So we've been called, even at that level, to say, look, and what's there? Let's continue. Joseph did this now for the butler and the baker. Verse 5 then says, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, and the butler and the baker and the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward, of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sad today? Like, in other words, what's wrong with you guys? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Okay, 
So they both had a dream. They both had a dream on the same night. And they both were sad because of the dream. Neither of them understood what was going on. But it must have disturbed them so much that they became nervous and sad about what they had seen. But Joseph notices that they're both down. And Joseph, being the guy that he is, goes up to both of them and says, What's wrong with you guys? Is everything okay? And they said, Well, dream this dream. Joseph immediately sees that door opening. You see, Joseph's got experience with dreams, isn't he? He's, he's had dreams himself. God's given him dreams and he knows that there's something fishy going on here. That these two guys would have a dream and they're put in the prison with him. And so he says, well, God is. God's the one who can explain dreams. And you notice that the word God there, that word God is the word Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God. One God, the only God. Not multiplicity of gods. At the same time, he's actually saying, you know all those Egyptian gods that you've got? You know, Amun-Ra and, and Horus and Seth and Isis. And none of those can actually know what's going on in your head. Which means they're not gods. But this one god can explain what's going on. And so we see now, in verse 9, it says, And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, In my dream... Behold, a vine was before me, and the vine, and in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. And yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. Oh, that's pretty good interpretation for the butler, right? That's good news for the butler. So Joseph essentially told him that he would live. In three days, God, the, the Pharaoh was going to tell him, you've been restored to your rightful place, the place you had before where you were serving me. Okay? in the palace. Within three days, he'd be released from prison and restored to his former life and position. And so now Joseph has granted him that thing. He's, he's probably gone like this. He said, oh, that's good news. Because he was sad before, right? He didn't know what that meant. Could have been the squeezing the grapes was, was someone, you know, some Pharaoh squeezing his own neck. Um, but it's... but. Now Joseph asks him something, and he says in verse 14, But think on me, when it shall be well with thee. But think about me, Joseph says, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house, this prison, essentially. For indeed I was stolen away out of my land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing, that they should put me into the dungeon. So, Joseph now sees this as an interesting situation. He's thinking, is God aligning this stuff? Why would God have me provide interpretation and this guy's going to be right next to Pharaoh? He knew that the butler had an audience, or had Pharaoh's audience. And he asked if he would make mention of his predicament to Pharaoh. If there's one person who can free him from this jail, it was Pharaoh. Paul appealed to Caesar. And so Joseph knew that he had been falsely imprisoned 
and he hoped that this butler would show some sympathy for him since he had been serving him and looking after him and now had given them this great news about this truth that he'd be saved. Was it wrong for Joseph to ask for that favour? No. Was it wrong? I've heard some commentaries say he made a massive mistake. He shouldn't have put his trust in man and all that sort of stuff. But it wasn't wrong. Like it's foolish to say that it was actually wrong. Joseph may have been thinking, and I suspect this of him, that God was in the middle of all of this. And one of the reasons that he was giving that, that particular translation or explanation of that dream to this man was simply because God was going to now free him. Was Joseph wrong? Maybe. But it didn't make what he did wrong. His trust wasn't in Pharaoh. His trust wasn't even in the butler. But he did appeal for justice and compassion, which is not a wrong thing to appeal for. You know, we can put our hope in the Lord for things such as creating circumstances and conditions for our favour. I'm sure you've all done it. Where you've seen certain conditions align in your life and you, you see God's in the middle of this. I'm going to continue going in this direction. Have you not done that? Yes, you have. Because where God is working in your life, you're always on the lookout for what God is doing. And the Bible says that for every believer, that God is preparing works for us to walk in them beforehand. He's already preparing them. He's done the, he, he prepares the path. We're not, we're not digging paths and laying down road here. God prepares the road and he prepares the circumstances for us to walk in them. And so a believer who has Christ in their life sees that happening. And sometimes we see the circumstances being aligned. And if God's will is in it, we walk in that direction. And that's the right thing to do. And this is what Joseph was doing. But we should always be aware that sometimes what we see may not be right. It may not be correct. So we need to be careful also about jumping ahead of God. Sometimes people see one circumstance and then they're ready to jump five circumstances ahead. And so we need to be careful that we don't get ahead of God because we may be going in the actual opposite direction. So let's continue. And we'll read a bit further on about whether Joseph's hope here was correct or not. But since the butler got a good interpretation... He was happy now. He had a massive smile on his face. He wasn't sad anymore. All of a sudden, the, the, the butler thinks, to him, the, sorry, the, the, the baker thinks to himself, yeah, yeah, now I want to hear mine, okay? So verse 16 says, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there was all manner of bake meats for Pharaoh, such that he'd made. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, oh, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. And yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head from off thee. And shall hang thee on a tree and the bird shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Uh, not the type of news you'd want to hear. Unlike the butler, where Pharaoh would raise his head, which means to lift him from a, a, a bowing position, say, you're up, you're restored. This time, Joseph says, he's going to lift your head 
off of your shoulders. He's going to hang you. It's a totally different type of thing. Definitely not what the butler wanted to hear, but the truth nonetheless. So Joseph spoke the truth, and one thing we see about Joseph in his life, and if you've been listening to the previous sermons, is that Joseph, without fear or favour, always said the truth, even if it got him in trouble. He didn't hold back on that truth. I I think one of the sermons I shared with you, I encouraged us to speak the truth. Okay? Sometimes the truth is very hard to speak to people because they don't want to accept it. But we are to speak the truth in love. Okay? So, whether the news was good or bad, Joseph simply told the truth. And the fact that he told the truth was confirmed soon after. Look at verse 20. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. And you might think, this is a quite a simple story. What does it have to teach? Yeah, Joseph went in there, described what was going on, one lives and one dies. Um, do you think it's a coincidence that all three of these men find themselves in prison at the same time? The answer would be no. Do you think it's recorded for us in the Bible? Is it a coincidence? No. Do you think it's a, a coincidence that judgment came on the third day? Do you think it's a coincidence that one lives and one dies? Or that the one who dies is hung on a tree. There's no coincidences here. So this story speaks about Christ. And Joseph, as I've told you before, is like a picture of Christ who enters into our world. Okay? And which for all intents and purposes, this world is like a prison. A prison for everyone who is bound in sin and headed for hell. All of mankind is imprisoned by the same sickness living in a fallen world. We do not live in a world that's redeemed. We do not live in the world the way it was originally created. We live in a fallen world inhabited by fallen people doing unimaginably evil things to each other each and every day of our lives. We live in a world that is imprisoned to sin. Yet among the people of this world, there entered into, during the history of mankind, one who was perfectly innocent. Only one who was perfectly innocent, who didn't deserve to be here. But yet while he was here, he shared the truth perfectly. The truth that came from God. Just as Joseph shared the truth that came from God. And he, speak, he spoke the truth without fear or favour. And he lived here for a season among us. For one group, he will declare that they're saved. He will declare that they're being restored. For the other, he will declare death. One will live and one will die. And Joseph becomes a picture of Christ who himself came into a fallen world where he witnessed to those who were imprisoned. He will pronounce one will die and another will live. One will find favour and the other one won't. 
and it will all be determined by what happens on the third day. For some, the three days that it took Jesus to die on that cross and then rise again from that grave means eternal life. It means restoration with God. It means being restored in that relationship. For others, those three days will become a curse because they will be eternally lost. Those three days determine the fate. Those three days where Christ was in that tomb will determine the fate of every person in this world. Those three days is the difference between life and death. Those three days determine the fate of two types of people. For three days, the fate of the entire world and all of mankind throughout all of history rested upon the outcome of one man and what he did. Can you imagine if Jesus did not rise from the grave on that third day? The world would have been lost. Absolutely lost. But the outcome of that third day meant victory over death. It meant satisfaction of God's righteousness and justice. It meant salvation for us. Would he rise or would he stay in that grave? The outcome was a difference between life and death for every one of us. The difference between heaven and hell. The difference between a certain eternal separation from God and a place and living in a place that was created for the devil and his angels. The fate of the, every person in the world rests upon those three days. And the question is going to be at the end of the day whether we are represented in those three days. You see, the Bible tells us that when we, were, when we were saved, we were baptized in the Holy Spirit and we died with Christ on that cross. Somehow we were represented on that cross. But it also means that if you're represented on that cross, that you're represented in the resurrection. Joseph's message was verified in three days. That what he said was true. And Jesus said from the beginning that he would, he came for the sins of the world, that he would be crucified and that he would rise on the third day. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Because he had foretold this event before it actually occurred. And he shared it with his disciples on multiple occasions, warning them about what was to come. Oftentimes they struggled to understand it. They couldn't believe that if he was the Messiah, how could he possibly die? They struggled with the idea or the notion of rising again after you've been crucified on a cross because they had seen people crucified in the past. And Matthew 17, 22 says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. But what ended up happening? Exactly as he said. The message that he gave was perfect truth. And his, and his crucifixion was the first verification of what he said because he said that they were going to crucify him. He said he was going to be betrayed. And then he said he was going to rise again. 
and the third day he rose again, which is the very reason we are here this morning. If he didn't rise on that third day, it'd be pointless to be here. Go out, have a picnic, spend some time with the football, spend some time you know, mowing your lawn on a Sunday morning because this would be an absolute waste of time. But the fact that he rose again on that third day verifies everything that he said about himself and about what God was doing for mankind. The resurrection proved the message of Christ. It proved his identity. It proved he is trustworthy. But how a person responds to that will determine their faith. What you do with Jesus Christ will determine where you spend the whole of your eternity. That one decision, that one choice will make a difference for all time for you. But what's heartbreaking about this story as well is that the ingratitude and the unthankfulness of the butler. In, for Genesis 40 verse 23 says, Yet did not... So do you remember Joseph said, Please remember me. You know, when you're, when you're back, restored, can you please remember me? Because I'm stuck in this prison over here. He says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph? But forget him. And what have we learned from that? Well, the first is that if you're going to rely on the goodness of men, you're going to be disappointed over and over again. And telling the truth to someone and doing good to other people does not guarantee they're going to do good back to you. So don't ever expect it. You know, once I... I, I remember someone explaining this to me, saying that, you know, if you want to not be disappointed in your life, lower your expectations. I think that's good advice. If you expect other people to do certain things the way you think and the way you do, you're going to be disappointed over and over again. But when it comes to the unsaved, what expectations should we have of them? What expectations would you have for someone who's unsaved? It's better to have none. Because when you begin to have expectations of someone who doesn't know the Lord, what are you expecting? They don't know the truth. They haven't been saved. They're not redeemed. They don't know the Lord. They haven't got the Holy Spirit living within them and guiding them. It's better to have no expectations at all. But what's troubling about this particular passage, if this butler got saved, is a tendency of man not to be thankful for what the Lord's done for them. This is always true for the unsaved. You might tell someone, Jesus loves you, right? Now, how many times have you may have said, but Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And they go, what for? I don't need to be saved. I'm good enough as it is. Now, that person, you know, the Bible says, do not throw your pearl before swine. That's exactly what that's saying. When you go to someone and say, but Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you to save you, and that person says, I don't want to know about that. Oh, I'm fine. That's throwing your pearl before swine. And they're just going to trample on that and they don't care about it. It's because they haven't first realized their state before God. And that's why it's necessary first to explain to a person their sinful state before God and they will be judged one day. Because without that, without understanding you first have an illness, you're not going to take the medication. 
If a person does not understand, first of all, that they're headed for hell, that they're definitely going there, and that's not a good place to be, and that even though God loves them, they have made the decision to alienate themselves from God, and they will have to answer for every thought, every bad deed, and there's only one place you're going to pay for that, and that is a place of absolute torment. Have you ever been, have you ever burned a finger? Yeah. You ever burn yourself to the point where the pain just keeps on going? You know, and you have, you're trying to find relief from it? Can you imagine one day in hell? I can't. But yet there are a multitude of people in this world who are happily walking toward it without fear, without seeing the flames, without knowing that they're going to be in this state forever and ever. But what's more troubling for me is that it's also a picture of believers. There are believers who are not thankful to God. Oh, they may say certain things about God, but their lives don't reflect any thankfulness at all. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. I'll just share this final passage with you because I think this story is, is a good one. I've shared with you in the past that when you look at the miracles that Jesus did, they all point to the grace of God and what he does when someone gets saved. So if the Lord raises someone from the dead, right, it's what happens to an unsaved person when God gives them new life. When the Lord opens the eyes of a blind person, it's the Lord who opens the eyes of someone who can't see heaven, can't know God's truth, and all of a sudden he opens their eyes to understand what that truth is. When the Lord heals a leper like these in this passage over here, it shows how dirty and sinful we actually are before God. But God can heal and cleanse a person in a moment. But what's sad about this particular story is the unthankfulness. That goes along with it. Look at Luke 17.11. It says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men with the lepers, which stood afar off. You couldn't get close to people if you're a leper. And they lifted up their voices. They screamed out and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering and said, Were there not ten cleansed? And where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save the stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. Only one returned. Can you imagine if you're a leper? If you have a life condemned to be separated from everyone else, We were worried about lockdown for two years, but can you imagine being a leper, being condemned for the rest of your life, never to see your family or to be involved in anything in normal society ever again? Can you imagine not having in those days any medication to deal with limbs falling off, 
All you were destined to do was live with other lepers who you saw decaying in front of your eyes and you knew you were going to be the same. And so when Jesus, when they cried out for mercy and Jesus says, okay, go to the priest and and show yourselves. And on the way, you see your flesh all of a sudden restored. Your hands are normal again. Your nose is back to where it was before. And only one goes back. What would you say about people like that? What would you say about them? Not even to go back and say thank you. I tell you, nine out of ten Christians don't show thanks. This is not just a story about ten lepers out of nowhere. I'm telling you now that there are too many Christians living in this world who say they love God who say they believe in God, who say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but don't do even the slightest thing for him. Let's not be one of those nine. Our lives should reflect what God has done for us. Our lives should be ones of gratitude, not selfishness and ingratitude. Let's consider ourselves first in this matter. Let's not be like this butler. Let's not be like these lepers. Let's be the first ones to actually, by our lives, by our lives, show how grateful we are to God. Because a restored soul is more precious than every treasure on this earth. And if you treasure your own soul and God has restored that soul, And the rest of your life should be one of gratitude. But like I said this morning as we're celebrating the Lord's table, we are very, very forgetful people. It doesn't take long before we start whinging and moaning the first thing that goes wrong. It doesn't take us long to forget what he has done for us, what he is still doing for us, what he has promised us, what we have in store for us, what hope we have in him, what blessings we have in heaven, what he has done for us. Let's not be hypocrites in this world, but let's be grateful. Have you received eternal life this morning? Then let that show through in your life, not just here in church, but let it show everywhere else that you step foot. Let everyone else see how appreciative you are to God, how much you love him because he loved you first. Glorify God with everything you have. Let's not, import, let's not forget the most important act ever done in the history of mankind or for any other time for that matter. When God loved this world so much that he sent his only and precious son to come to this world that we might have life. How can we live lives of ingratitude after all that God has done for us? We often speak about being adopted into God's family in this church. And I think that's a wonderful example. That's a wonderful thing to remind ourselves about. And how God has brought us together as a local family of believers. And we're called together as a family to encourage each other and to spur each other on and to remind each other about what God's done for us and to help each other along this path because it isn't an easy path. God didn't promise it was going to be easy. But one thing you, you, you believe, if you believe you're a child of God adopted, adopted into his family, is that you've taken on his nature. And that you want to be like your dad. 
You want to make him proud of you. You want to make him happy because of how much he's loved you and me. But the very nature of God is to give. Have you noticed? He is giving. He is so giving. He couldn't have given more for you and me to rescue people like us who didn't deserve to be rescued. He gave that thing which was most precious to him, everything of himself most precious, so that we can sit here and celebrate on a Sunday morning and, and, and be thankful for what we have. But let me ask you, uh, is your life like that? Are you a giving person? Or do you spend most of your time taking? A grateful person gives because they realize they've been given much. And so my challenge to us today is, let's be like our Heavenly Father who gave all. Let's be more like Him. Give. Give to everyone who asks. Give to everyone who doesn't ask. Give to everyone who deserves. And more importantly, give to everyone who doesn't deserve. Because none of us deserved. So we are called to be the same. God bless you. I pray this morning, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus yet, if you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, you haven't received Him as your King, this morning is the time to do it. Do not leave these doors without having eternal life in your hands. Because God can give it to you in a moment, like he cured those lepers.